0: Okay, Sammy, so you had got the bug in me about doing a podcast about Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, and so it's been a few days, and I've been stewing on it, and I decided, okay, I'm not going to wait any longer because uh, I'm going to start to forget even what the, his podcast was about, um, so let me just jump in. Um this was the beginning of season four. Uh, and it was, as you called it, uh, the name of it was puzzle rush, which is named after a chess.com game that's become very popular that I love playing. Uh, but I think your theme is go tortoise, uh, is, is kind of more fitting for what, for what, uh, his episodes really about. Um, so he sets it up, you know, uh, around the idea. Well, he starts it off with this, this question about whether or not the LSAT is set up fairly or appropriately to determine. And, and here's the first kind of question: Is it is the LSAT supposed to help pick people who are going to become good lawyers or people who are going to do well in law school? later on, I think he makes the case that, uh, to, to a certain extent, law school is set up around testing the same sort of uh, characteristics that the LSAT test. So it's sort of self-fulfilling or self-predictive. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, I think that's what he's implying, that it produces the best lawyers. And he has this example he talks about uh, with this, with, I forgot the name of the main guy that that, that sort of triggered this. The guy who wrote the paper, uh, kind of questioning the LSAT, uh, and then he himself becoming a teacher, and or is a, is a teacher and and sort of changing up the way he teaches so that he doesn't necessarily uh, emphasize speed over thoughtfulness. Um, so you know, Gladwell is. is so fantastic in terms of writing and presenting the material that, you know, he has a way of of just endearing you to, and sort of hypnotizing you, I think, a little bit. Um, It it causes you to kind of get swept up in his argument. Um, And and I think to a certain extent, turn off your critical thinking. Uh, So you kind of do end up rooting for the position that Gladwell takes, uh, even without, sort of really reflecting on why you're agreeing with that position. Um, And, you know, it's a fascinating topic, this whole question about you know, is there sort of this bias in the United States towards fast uh, as opposed to thoughtful? Um, And I think he tries to He's attempting to sort of say there is this bias and it's inappropriate and it doesn't necessarily work right and, you know, what's it about? Now, he's already said it's a two-part episode, so I don't know whether he's going to be getting into a lot of the issues that I'm going to comment on, because I think that when when you think about what the podcast was, you sort of realize that he skimmed over a lot and he sort of had an argument that he wanted to make and he led you down the path Towards that argument, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna point out a few things that, that sort of jumped out at me right away that really either were not well explored or were just either wrong or misleading. Um, so the so the first interesting question to me is this question about you know whether or not the and let's just take the LSAT whether that's an appropriate Measure of whether someone would be a good lawyer, because that's really what we're interested in. I mean, obviously, at a narrow basis, the, the idea of the test is to predict how well you'll do in law school. But really, the, the 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 ultimate objective is to produce good lawyers and predict who will be a good lawyer. And and so, in 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 Malcolm's argument, um, somebody could be more of a tor- a tortoise, thoughtful. Capable of constructing, you know, well thought out arguments, but requiring more time to do it, and that that is very valuable, and that is being discounted by the the way that the, SL, the LSAT is structured. So I think a point well taken, but uh, I don't think it's. First of all, I think that that it's not generalizable. This question, in other words, fast versus slow is not sort of just a general category about is it appropriate at all to pick one or the other. But I think it it, it it's related specifically to what it is you're testing and, and what is what is in this case what is the occupation or profession that you're testing for. In this case, we're not talking about well, you know, he Malcolm likes to say that, you know, he's sort of the opposite of of the the hair. He you know, his I think he said his M.O. is meandering and digressing. But sure, he's a writer, you know, and, and he tells stories. And that's, you definitely don't want a speed writer or, you know, someone who just packs a lot of information quickly into a little, into a little package. I mean, that might be okay for certain kinds of writing, but not for the kind of writing that, that he does and not what the kind of writing that we would read for entertainment. Um... So sure, then then the test should be different. Um, but lawyer, okay, well lawyer, do I, you know, right now the way lawyers are are, are compensated for uh, pretty much everywhere in the world, it's by the hour, um, and they, they they you know you pay them a pretty hefty fee by the hour, and if the lawyer, there's two possibilities, either the lawyer is slow and meandering and thoughtful and doesn't bill you for all the time he's taking, being thoughtful and meandering, in which case, okay, I'm not going to get pissed off at the client, but he's certainly going to have trouble making the kind of money that he would make if he weren't like that, and perhaps perhaps may not even be able to support a practice. So being a lawyer does seem, it seems to me, to require... Or one would want someone who is capable of quicker than slower, able to analyze uh, an argument or a situation, and give you an opinion, and then you know, and then maybe hand it off to someone else who can do the other kinds of things uh, that might require more meandering and pondering. But for the most part, I think you know. The, the main thrust of what lawyers do in most of their work—it uh, definitely is is valuable if they can be very efficient in their thinking and very, you know, uh, uh, able to quickly analyze the situation and then, you know, give the client what they need. So that's on the very narrow topic about whether or not the LSAT you know, fits uh, uh, that model of being, you know, quick and being able to analyze things quickly uh, is is appropriate to the legal profession. Um, now, interestingly enough, uh, Malcolm goes on to look at chess as sort of his counterexample, or at least an example of trying to point out the the relative value of one kind of you know, person the tor- the the hare and the other the tortoise as it relates to what's rewarded in chess. And you know, it's very funny that he chose that because that's obviously something I've become pretty interested in. And I I follow chess.com and I actually follow um, um, uh, Hikaru Nakamura and and uh, Fabiano. Uh, I forget his last name. Karun, I think it is. And, and it, it, indeed, it's interesting because uh, Hikaru and Fabiano are like opposite ends of the scale, so to speak, at the level of the most elite brand masters. Um, Hikaru is definitely famous for being very fast, uh, uh, quick a quick study, analyzes positions quickly, and and Fabiano is definitely the more, uh, I, I think as Hikaru described it, he's someone who is good at calculation and analyzing a situation now but but you know what what I thought ended up happening in the interview of Hikaru is that Malcolm really led him through the the whole interview uh, hikaru is actually a pretty outspoken guy and he's a lot of fun to watch on on chess.com especially when there's other matches and he's commenting on them because he's he's very insightful and he's funny and he's and he's extroverted all the things you wouldn't think of you know, in a stereotypic view of a, of a chess player. And Fabiano is much more the nerdy, you know, quiet uh, type that, that you would expect in the stereotype. But anyway, Hikaru in this interview pretty much either, either Malcolm didn't tell him what the whole thrust of the story was about. Um, or uh, And so he didn't really know what he was commenting on and, and whether he was going to throw in his own opinion but he was pretty much led through this process. And let me point out, you know, a couple couple things that I think illustrate that. Uh first of all, you know, he was trying to draw the distinction between players who play really well in in standard chess that is, you know, you have you know several hours to make all your moves versus rapid chess uh we have to play rather quickly. And um right off the bat, he said, you know, if uh, Hikaru pointed out that the, the you know the world the, the world chess champion um you know uh, Magnus Carlsen happens to also be the blitz world champion now just to give you an idea blitz chess you have 5 minutes to make all your moves whereas in a standard you know game you've got I don't know se- uh, 2 hours to make something like 40 moves and then you get another hour and it, you know it goes on and on and on um so 5 minutes to make all your moves is incredibly fast. And Magnus is the world champion in both. Okay. Uh now they sort of, you know, threw that away like the idea that well Magnus is some kind of really special unusual kind of character. Uh but then and but then um, um Malcolm pushed Hikaro to say, "Well, but you're the world champion in bullet." And he said, "Yeah, yeah." So implying that, that 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 was even a more special ability, that was a more you know, radical version of being a rabbit even then in uh, Blitz. Well, bullet is just insane. I, don't even, I wouldn't even call it chess. You have a minute to make all your moves. If you've ever watched it, um, I mean, on average, the guys are making a move a second, and, and half of the game is just hand-eye coordination, being able to move the piece quick enough um and anticipate the other guy's move and you know it it's almost has nothing to do with chess and and more like reflexes and things like that. So I think it it could just be thrown out as really not appropriate to the question. Um blitz is 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 still chess uh but at a very very, you know, fast pace. And uh and so then so so that's one thing is is that, you know, is it and this is at the essence of the question, does does, does his point prove that chess sort of rewards the slow player and uh and not the fast player and it's just you know arbitrary. Uh, or is it the case that there's sort of a combination of skills that are involved here that it's not either or and which is what I want to point out. The, the fact is that almost all great chess players, grandmasters, including Fabiano, uh are able to analyze positions very rapidly. Okay? They can look at a position and in a very short time, know what are the four or five possible moves or what is the strategies that can come out of this position. Whereas the the average player and and even a lower level grandmaster can't do that. Um so that so that even even if you have someone like Fabiano, um he can play uh uh, uh uh, blitz chess at a very, very, very high level, maybe he's not as high as he is on slower chess, uh but he can play at a very high level. secondly, within the chess world, they have actually incorporated both, so there are blitz tournaments that pay very well um and there are you know world champion and they have a world championship of blitz so it's it's less prestigious let's say than standard chess, but it's not so. You know, unprestigious that it has no value. Secondly, within the the world championship match, the actual format and, and interestingly interesting enough, Magnus played Fabiano in the last world championship in in 2018, and after, and and the the format of that match was that they had 12 matches, uh, 12 games, and at the end of the 12 games, if it was still a tie, that that is nobody was leading. Then there was going to be another set of rapid chess matches or games to determine the winner. And rapid chess in this case is not the, the way it was defined and is was not as fast as blitz, but still much faster than standard. And in fact, Carlson and Fabiano drew after 12 games. And in the last game, Carlson actually had a, a significant advantage and then offered a draw. And a lot of people were going, Why the hell was he doing that? And the reason he did it is he had confidence that in the rapid section he could beat Fabiano because he knew Fabiano was not as good a fast player. So so there you have a, a situation where you need to be good at both to win. You have to be able to do both things. So you have to be able to quickly analyze and 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 you know, be able to play rapid chess well. And even within a standard game you're going to be much more efficient with time if you can analyze a position quickly, and then and then for the standard game you do have to be able to calculate and look at you know depth and depth and the positions and which you know again both players can do very well. Um, the other thing I thought that was kind of interesting that Hikaru put out there was the idea that if if he was given an infinite amount of time, what would happen? And he said that all of at, at that level of chess all the games would be a draw. And I really, I mean, that's an interesting conjecture. Right now, 50% of the Grandmaster level games are drawn. Um, Whether or not time pressure is responsible for the other 50% is a pretty speculative idea. I suspect that Hikaru is not losing many games because of time pressure, either directly or indirectly. Um... I think if you gave him more time, the nature of his personality is he wouldn't be able to calculate past a certain point. As a matter of fact, I've seen players on their first instinct have the right idea and then overthink it and end up with the wrong idea. So that's kind of a speculative idea there that, that simply giving an infinite amount of time would mean that all the best players would always end up making all the right moves. Because I don't think the human brain works that way. Okay, I'm going to end this first section of my comments because I've got to go shopping. Bye. Okay, so here's the second part of my podcast response to the podcast of Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Puzzle Rush. So we were talking about um, chess and specifically the mix between uh Speed chess and, and standard chess, and and I think I can even make the point um, more forcefully by by simply pointing out that that top level chess players um, are able to evaluate a position extremely quickly. Um, if I haven't said that already, I'm going to re- repeat it because it's. Very important, that I think, to keep in mind, and um, and I think gets at sort of this whole question at a deeper level. Um, all the best players in Puzzle Rush are grandmasters or people who are going to become grandmasters or could be grandmasters, and and the reason is is, is they have the ability to see a position and either remember similar positions from the past um, and, or see patterns that are well known to them that they can then quickly decide what to do based on that pattern because it's well known to them. And um, uh, and that enables them to spend a lot less time analyzing individual moves because they recognize a pattern and they understand what possible combinations there are, or what's, what ideas, there are behind the pattern so you know you can almost uh, i think uh draw the analogy between left and right brain activity um you know generally speaking we associate the right brain with unconscious uh creative um uh thinking and 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 i think importantly pattern recognition so where we might have something that we can't articulate logically or in a sequential fashion, we sort of intuitively or right-brainly uh, identify that this this is something familiar to us. This is, there's a pattern here that we, we recognize. And even if we can't explain it, uh, we are able to have knowledge about that situation because we understand the pattern. And I think the same thing... is is true in chess and probably in many 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 activities. So what I'm driving at I think is that the this distinction between the tortoise and the hare is a little artificial. Um, or, or or let me put it this put it differently the the ability to see patterns quickly I think in a field or in any endeavor is a sign of mastery or Potential mastery um, and i would I would suggest that it, it's even in fields that we might not think of as you know rabbit type fields even writing, for example I, I i my suspicion is that that Malcolm Gladwell is able to read a book quickly or or you know read a a magazine article. Relatively quickly, understand having seen patterns before and, and themes, and get a, get a sense of what it's about in a, in as part of his mastery of that art form. Um, and whereas someone who's you know not a very strong reader uh, can't do that. And um, so, you know, going back to the very beginning of this whole thing, which is testing as a way to determine future success or competence um i think if to the extent that testing is looking for someone's ability to quickly identify patterns in a field i think it is predictive of their potential to do well in that field Uh, because as i said it it, it seems to me in many 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 areas that kind of pattern recognition is is a sign of sort of a deep understanding uh, or a mastery uh, of the subject. You know, just like uh, you know, the, the saying goes that um, if you can't teach something at a, at a fairly simple level, you probably don't understand it, no matter how complicated it is. Uh, that you know, the idea of being able to teach something at a simple level is really seeing some sort of pattern that you can identify in the complicated mat. you know, the, the complicated area, so that you can explain it to other people who don't know the complicated area, but understand that pattern, because you can point you, you can show, you know uh, the similarities in other fields you can have metaphors you can do things to kind of go, this is sort of like this, and And that's something that, you know, we grasp quickly or not. Uh, And if we, if you don't get it, if you don't see it, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to, like, study it and study it and study it and then eventually see the pattern. You might study, study, study it and then subconsciously later, you know, dreaming or something, see the pattern. Um, But, and that's sort of a discovery process. But obviously you're not going to be doing that all the time in a field that you you know that you know, so it, when you' when you're looking at someone who has a, a mastery or a potential mastery of an area, I think you're going to see someone who can can spot the patterns relatively quickly so I think this whole tortoise hair thing is really just different sides of of knowledge, or different, you know, aspects of what we'll call knowledge or mastery, and if the the tortoise part is really meant to mean the part of mastery that's sort of, you know, exposition and slow building out of an argument or detailed, you know, digging into something, fine. And that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's part of the process. But being able to quickly, hair-like, um, understand a subject or, or at a certain level is, I think, a very good way of determining that the person really understands the area and the material. Thank you very much. On to the next podcast.